Hi, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and we are the authors of, I don't know, 500 billion cookbooks like The Kitchen Shortcut Bible and Vegetarian Dinner Parties. And usually on this podcast, Mark and I cook through a recipe, sometimes from our books, sometimes from readers and listeners. But today we are going to talk about what we think are the top eight tools and gadgets you must have in your kitchen. And and, and we're not talking about knives. We're not talking about uh, cutting boards. We're not talking about what measuring cups. We're measuring spoons. Those we're giving you. We're not talking about collies. We're not talking about bourbon. Well, everybody needs those in their kitchen. Absolutely. (laughs) We're not talking about gin. (laughs) We're talking about what you need to to make a meal beyond a knife, a cutting board, and measuring cups and measuring cups. And these eight top things make incredible holidays gifts. Yeah, they do. And they make great house gifts if you are going to someone's house for dinner. Consider bringing one of these instead of a bottle of wine. Okay. Okay. Number one, if you've ever listened to us before, you know that we go on rants, at least I do as the chef in our group, about instant read meat thermometers. Oh, there you go. You must have one. It's the only way to know whether meat is cooked to your liking and or whether it meets the USDA minimum temperature for safety. That's right. And the USDA temperatures are a little higher than I like. Well, not necessarily for chicken and poultry, but they're a little higher than I like, especially for beef. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I want a good vet to be able to save that steak. So um, <laughs> put it back in the cow and let the cow live. So I, uh, I'm I'm wanting, you know, in the mid-120s, somewhere mm-hmm. in there, because uh, so, I want mine super rare. USDA standard 140. 140, which to me is shoe leather. Well, 140 to me is more like a medium well, but Mark is much... Much more difficult when it comes to well done mm, meat. Once I it's am. once it's no longer cool in the middle, he thinks it's overdone. <laughs> I do. So I take Mark's steaks out about one twenty two. I feel the one same way about men actually, but okay, go ahead. It's like I'm cool in the middle. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> And there are a lot of brands of instant read meat thermometers. What I have learned over the years is you get what you pay for. And when I have bought cheap ones for $7 or $8, they don't last me very long. I find they're not all that accurate. I have invested in the Thermapen, which is an expensive one, but I find it's absolutely fantastic. Okay. So you get what you pay for. Get an instant read meat thermometer and an instant read, by the way, right? It is instant read. It has to be instantaneous when it takes the temperature. And by instantaneous, you mean it takes about 10 seconds as opposed to leaving it 10 seconds. The one you have takes about a second the other day. I mean, honestly, that thing registers the temperature instantly. Yeah, but you got to read your instructions of yours because some of them take up to 10 seconds to level out and get to their final number. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, the, my point is that there is a second rule to this, and that is that uh, you have to clean it. Don't forget <laughs> that an instant read meat thermometer has been stuck into meat, and so at the end of it, you have to wipe it down. Uh, a lot of people forget that. They just put it away. Uh, don't do that. You wouldn't put away a pan that a steak had cooked in without washing it down. So Ooh, wash some it down. people might. Ick. Yeah, okay. So number two is an electronic kitchen scale. And, uh, you know, listen, if I get when, when, um, excuse me, when, when I get to be ruler of the world, I'm going to make sure that everyone has scales in their kitchen. Uh, I want everyone to weigh their flour and weigh their chocolate. Um, We don't do that yet, but a kitchen scale is really important. And not just for recipes that call for weight of flour and sugar, but for everyday use. I take my scales out all the time for weighing meat because I'll buy you know, a three-pound package of frozen ground beef, and I have to divide it up into three one-pound packages. Or I'm cutting up, you know, a roast into chops. Or I'm doing something that requires me to divide things out. If I'm making cookies, and I want to make sure they're all the same, I'll weigh each piece of dough to make sure it's the same weight. 
So a scale is very helpful for all of that. And you want a scale, by the way, that you can set, as they say, to tear it. In other words, T-A-R-E it. In other words, you want a scale that you can zero out. Because that way you can put a bowl on it, zero it out. Now it's back to zero again. Put something in that bowl, zero it out again, right? And you keep weighing it from zero. Yeah. So you know the amount of each ingredient you have. And you'll note we said electronic kitchen scale, no brass weights or measures <laughs> or... <laughs> Old balance scales like the sine Libra, none of that. But I want to give you a trick with scales. So <laughs> let's say I have my three pounds of ground beef, and they're in a big bowl already because I dumped it out of the package, and the package said three pounds. So if I put all three pounds in the bowl and I put it on a scale at zero, then when I take some out, the number's going to go down yeah. by how much I took out. Right. So I could wait till it gets to negative one pound, and I know I've taken a pound out. Right, there and you go. So that's another way to use a scale and get a little hack out. And one other thing about electric, electronic kitchen scales that I want to mention is that the, we have one in which the platform that which you weigh on actually comes detached from the scale. You can detach it, and that way you can clean it because kitchen scales, just like instant read meat thermometers, need to be wiped down and cleaned after use. Because most likely if I'm weighing a pork chop, I'm weighing it by placing, placing it on the scale and right. not wrapping the scale in plastics. So, right. Okay. okay. The Number third three. thing you should have, and this makes perfect sense, is a knife sharpener because sharp knives make cooking easier, make cooking safer, make cooking faster, and knives go dull quickly. Yes, you can bring your knives to a professional sharpener once in a while. I do that sometimes. Even the butcher at your supermarket is most likely willing to help sharpen your knives if he's not busy. But you should have a knife sharpener at home. Right. Um, it's really important to sharpen those knives, um, as Bruce says, for safety reason. But I just find that it just makes things go quicker. Or, you know, it makes it just easier. I don't know how to explain it. I'm not shredding a tomato up yeah, exactly. on the cutting board. And, and we do have our knives professionally sharpened sometimes once a year. But... A knife sharpener still is a great thing to have around the house just for, you know, a touch-up on what you do. Oh, yeah, I use it. I use it all the time, even though we do it once a year. So the next thing is something that people sometimes think they have in their house but don't really have in their house. It's called a sieve or a fine mesh strainer. <laughs> and a lot of people say, well, I have a colander. And no. a colander is great for draining pasta, yep. for putting apples in it and rinsing them off. and then right. all the. But it's big holes in it. And it's not a fine mesh strainer. It's not a sieve. It's not good for straining out boiled milk or a custard or even if you're straining tea or iced the coffee. The only way you can do that is you can line it with cheesecloth, but that's a pain in the you're neck. You're lining your colander yeah, with cheesecloth. Yeah, line cloth. a colander with cheesecloth, but that's a pain in the neck and you have to have cheesecloth. So a sieve is really the answer to this. It's also the way that you can sift out uh, fine grain spices from something, sure. right? Uh, there's a lot of uses for a sieve beyond just draining. And you use the word sift there. You can use it to sift flour. You can. So if your recipe calls for sifted flour, dump the flour in the sieve, just the side of it like a tambourine and watch that flour fall into a bowl. And I wanted to say that um, also we, you know, listen, we've written a lot of cookbooks and so our kitchen's kind of tricked out and we have lots and lots of sieves of different sizes. But if you are just going to buy a sieve, go big. Not, you don't have to get one that's like the size of your sink, but go big that would hold like a cup and a half of flour in it because you can always put smaller amounts in the big sieve it's you can't if you have a little handheld you know half cup sieve you're gonna have a hard time with that chicken stock that you're trying to sieve out that is very true right okay go big so now you want to go big on another thing too in your kitchen you want to go big on mixing bowls don't you well we actually disagree a little but you go ahead with your theory and then i'm going to tell my theory my theory is that those little sets of stack nesting bowls that everybody buys 
Um, so let's say there are three in there. There's only two that are useful. Well, that the is medium true. and the big one. The small ones are pretty useless. Um, I find that the more large mixing bowls I have, the better. Because if I'm tossing a salad, or if I'm making a tuna salad, or if I'm even making a fruit salad, if I'm mixing a dressing, right. the bigger the bowl, the better. I can get lots of whisking action, right. and I can always transfer it to a small bowl for storage. And it's not that hard to wash out a big I bowl. Think the, I think the deal with the stacking bowls, the medium, small, small, medium, and large stacking in bowls, was counter space or cabinet space, and that they save because they can stack in each other. But we have large metal mixing bowls that literally stack on top of each other each one has a lip around the edge and they stack on top of each other and they don't take up any more space than one does than one does really well maybe a little more in height but not really a lot more and I agree with this. I do think you can have too large of a mixing bowl. And I will say that when I make pie crust in a giant, and we have some like industrial size mixing bowls, and if I accidentally pull one of those giant ones out, I have a hard time getting the, the fat even through the flour. So that's my quibble on it. As I would say that you need mostly large and maybe a medium mixing bowl amongst what you've got. And by large, I'm going to give you a size. Okay. I would think that you're looking at uh, four to six quart. Okay. Um, as the size that you probably want to have. Even an eight-quart would be great. Okay, what else do we need in the kitchen? Okay, the next three things and the last three in our list of five. I'm just going to go back through the list. Instant read, meat thermometer, electronic kitchen scales, um, knife sharpener, sieve, and multiple large mixing bowls. The next three are a little bit more esoteric, uh, and they, well, they're they kind of next-level cooking stuff. But anyway, let's start with number six, which is a potato masher. Now, that is so weird to hear you say that that's a next-level cooking. It thing. is. That's something that most of our grandmothers had it for is. making mashed potatoes. It is. The thing is, it is so much more useful than just making mashed potatoes. It is. If you don't have a pastry cutter, you can use a potato masher to cut yeah. butter into flour. If you're making guacamole and you cut yep. up four or five avocados, a potato masher will give you the perfect consistency. They will. It's great for softening butter if you're going to make cookies and you're mixing them by hand. There are so many things now, you can use a masher for. Let me just say that we're talking about a handheld ma mesh with a uh, potato masher with a metal bottom or maybe a nonstick bottom mm -hmm. that has a, a grid on it that you push through. We're not talking about a potato ricer. No. Which is a very fancy tool where you rice potatoes through a kind of bucket, and it, it looks like a them, giant garlic press. It, right, yeah. it pushes them into tiny, tiny threads. That's a great tool, but we're not talking about that. We're just talking about the old-fashioned potato masher. It's very useful because you can just mash up so many things. You can hit people with it. You can throw it across the room if you're having a I'm, fight with your kids. I'm going to tell you that I like uh, hummus that has slightly more texture to it than some hummuses. I know people like the deep, 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 really super whipped creamy, creamy hummus. Hummuses, but I like a little texture in my hummus, and I made hummus from scratch uh, for a party I was throwing for Bruce a couple weeks ago, and I ended up using a potato masher on a lot of it, and that was because it, it, it I caused a lot of work, and I stood there with the bowl for a long time working it, but it gave me just a slight graininess to the hummus that I liked that a food processor wasn't going to give me. Okay, now number seven is a thing that I think every kitchen should have. You know, I said these last three are a little bit more next level, but go ahead. What is number seven? Kitchen shears. Oh, there it is. They are stronger than regular scissors, and you can use them for everything. Yeah, don't, don't use cuticle scissors in the no. kitchen. Don't like... <laughs> no, and, like, and paper no. scissors are not going to be strong no. enough if you're trying to cut the plastic open of a container of something. And these shears, we should say, are as sharp they as are. a knife. And they're labeled kitchen shears when you buy them. You can cut through like chicken wings with them. You could bone apart chickens with them. Um, you can do things with them that a regular knife couldn't it's, possibly do. It's the do. only way I carve a chicken 
is I cut it with shears. Yep. I cut it at the bone. I roasted chicken and I cut it at the bone with shears into legs and thighs and wings and all that stuff because it's just so much easier than a knife for me to use. It is. And I use it for cutting up scallions and chives. If I'm like yeah. putting chives on a baked potato, I'll just hold the chives over the baked potato and use this, the shears to just cut them into little bits. Yep. I think it's really important. And I think that it's a it's a it's one of those kitchen gadgets that if you brought a potato masher and kitchen shears as a house gift to somebody for you know staying the weekend or something, I think it would be a really welcome idea and a welcome addition to the kitchen. And um, chances are they don't have them. Ch- chances are. And now the eighth and our final one is kitchen tongs. Okay. Or as my mother used to call it, the ice tongs. <laughs> See, when we were a, when I was a kid, we only used these tongs for ice. And mind you, I grew up in a super Protestant home, and we didn't have cocktails, we didn't drink. So I don't know what the ice tongs were for. Well, ice tongs are very different than kitchen tongs. Ice tongs. We had what you have in the kitchen. And she called and them ice we tongs. called them ice tongs. Because Mark and I were once doing a cooking demo at the Ritz um, Hotel in Washington, D.C. And they set us up in the lobby to do this whole thing. And I asked one of the people helping us if they can go get me tongs because I was flipping some meat in a pan. And he brought me back ice tongs, which wow. are these tiny right. little <laughs> Right. I know that. But when I was a kid, I'm just telling you, we called what you, what chef, and I'm sure if you've watched any cooking show, you have seen a million chefs use tongs. They stir skillets with, ston- mm-hmm. with tongs. They do everything with tongs. And you might never use a wooden spoon again if you do use tongs. Now, the thing to get, sure. in my opinion, is you want to get them um, where they have the nylon ends that are safe for nonstick, A, because you might have nonstick cookware. Also, even if you have regular stainless steel or a cast iron cookware, the, the nylon tips are a little softer and they won't dig into food as much right. and they won't break the crust if you've bread coated stuff. Right. I just noticed this when we were we just came off of writing this giant um, essential air fryer cookbook. And I noticed that Bruce used a lot of the tongs. We have tongs that don't have metal ends, but then he was using the, I mean, don't have uh, silicon ends, but then he was using the ones with silicon uh, ends to pick up things out of the air fryer and the crust wasn't shredding. Right. The, the metal tongs just right. shredded up that delicate crust like crazy on things. And so he's right. The, you should look for the nonstick safe ones. And tongs come in all sorts of sizes and what yep. that means are lengths. Um, so, you know, are they 8-inch tongs? Are they 10-inch tongs? Are they 14-inch? Right. I have different sizes because I have different size pots. So if I want to reach down into the bottom of a large pot, I grab my long tongs or I use those on the grill. If right. I'm just in a skillet and it's not very hot, I can use my shorter tongs to get right up to it and turn I things. I always grab the big 14-inch or however big they are, the giant mm-hmm. ones. I big grab those to do anything on the grill that I can turn, not like burger patties, but like chicken pieces and all. Because it just keeps my hand far back from Which the heat very source. Smart. Um, so I want to go back over the list. Let's do it again. Uh, there's the instant meat thermometer. There's the electronic kitchen scale. There's the knife sharpener. There's the sip. There's multiple large mixing bowls. There's a potato masher, kitchen shears, and kitchen tongs. Wow. If you have any other tools that you love that we didn't mention that you think are really important, email us through our website at bruceandmark.com. Um, we could share those with our listeners and we just love to know what you're using and what you think. So subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from Apple or anywhere else so you don't miss a single episode. And if you want to connect with us in any way, look us up on social media. We're both active on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to talk to you. And uh, consider these for your stocking stuffers and your, what did they do at Hanukkah? Your dreidel stuffers. <laughs> consider these for your stuff. dreidel stuffers at Hanukkah. <laughs> They make great house gifts. (laughs) They do. They They make make great great house gifts. And check us out on the next episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.